Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Welcome back to the Kennedy Dynasty Podcast. I'm your host, Allison, and today is a really fun episode. I got to chat with Dan Abrams about his new book, Kennedy's Avenger, Assassination, Conspiracy, and the Forgotten Trial of Jack Ruby. Dan is the founder of Abrams Media, a television host, commentator, and New York Times bestselling author. He is currently the ABC News chief legal correspondent and is the host of The Dan Abrams Show, where politics meet the law on SiriusXM's POTUS channel. In Kennedy's Avenger, Dan and his co-author, David Fisher, bring to life the incredible story of one of America's most publicized and most surprising criminal trials in history. The trial of Jack Ruby was a huge deal at the time that it happened, but has somehow become overshadowed by conspiracy theories and the overall Kennedy assassination fascination. This book is incredible, and I found myself so drawn in and wondering why it had taken me so long to study this fascinating topic in the Kennedy assassination story. I hope you enjoy this interview where I got some of my main questions answered about the book and got to dive deeper into the man who was Jack Ruby and the case that overtook the nation all those years ago. Here I am joined by author of Kennedy's Avenger, Assassination, Conspiracy, and the Forgotten Trial of Jack Ruby, Dan Abrams. Thank you so much for joining me. I'm excited. My pleasure to be on with you. This book, I tackled it in probably two days and I started it out in like the physical format and then I realized I couldn't put it down so then I was like well I've got to function and I've got to work so then I downloaded the audiobook and even listened to it too I literally could not put it down it was so good wow I'm so glad to hear that thank you what did interest you initially in Jack Ruby's trial have you always been interested in the Kennedys in some capacity or did the trial alone draw you in you know I, I think I'd say I've been interested in the Kennedys the way that most people who appreciate history have been interested in the Kennedys. It hasn't, it hadn't been a particular obsession of mine. The the book came about because my co-author David Fisher and I were talking about what to do for our next book. This is the fourth book in a series. And the first three were about um presidents of the United States involved in amazing trials that somehow became forgotten. Uh, a case where Abraham Lincoln defended a, uh, a murder defendant nine months before he got the Republican nomination. And Teddy Roosevelt is the defendant in a libel case um, after he was president. John Adams representing the British soldiers. And we were going through and we were talking about what could be our next book. And we were talking about presidents. We talked about the Kennedy assassination. And and David and I were saying, well, you know, obviously, you know, Oswald didn't have a trial. And we sort of looked at each other. And we we're like, whatever happened in Jack Ruby's trial? And as someone who covers law for a living, I was a little embarrassed because David sort of looked to me to say, yeah, what, what, you know, so what happened? And I said, you know, I, I think he was convicted, but I don't really remember. I don't know. So we both took a day. We looked into it. And the next day we were so giddy because there was so much we couldn't believe that there was so much there in the Ruby trial that it's somehow become forgotten to history. I mean, nothing associated, as you know, nothing associated with, with the Kennedy assassination has been forgotten to history. Right? Mm -hmm. Every element has been scrutinized and dissected, analyzed. And for some reason, 
Jack Ruby's trial just sort of faded, even though it was a huge event at the time. Yeah, that, that kind of actually leads into my next question is, why do you think that it did fade away? I mean, I myself have studied the Kennedys for years, and I'm still learning things every day about them. But Jack Ruby is such a huge puzzle piece that I didn't even insert into the narrative. I barely even knew anything about the guy before this book. So why do you think that wasn't a big part of their narrative? You know, I think that, that Jack Ruby, to most, has become the either the conspirator, right? If you believe that there was a conspiracy, you almost certainly, or I should say likely believe that Jack Ruby was was involved in some way, shape, or form. Um, and there's no mystery around, did he shoot? I mean, no reasonable mystery around whether he shot Oswald or not. So I think that, I think that for, for whatever reason, um, that lack of mystery surrounding did he do it or not, um, and the fact that, that the trial of Jack Ruby was not the Kennedy assassination trial, even though it was the only trial to emerge directly from the Kennedy assassination, I mean, apart from the uh, 1968 trial, et cetera, that became a bit of a joke in my view. But, um, but, but it, I, so I think that, I, look, the truth is, that, as you can tell, I'm sort of struggling. I don't know why. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, I can't really explain how Jack Ruby's trial has been so forgotten. So I'm trying to speculate, right, about how could this piece of Kennedy history have been so ignored for so long, in particular because I believe that many of the Kennedy assassination conspiracy theories emerge from this case. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I totally agree. It, it's just wild to me. It really is. I mean, I literally knew nothing about the guy and I almost am like ashamed <laughs> that I didn't. But it's it's really it's crazy. It really is. I do have some questions about the trial, though, that I'm going to need you yeah. to clear up for me. So yeah. a main question that I had from reading the book is, in your opinion, why in the world did Belli, with all the experience and knowledge that he did have, try to play that insanity card with Ruby instead of just going for the guilty without malice that would have obviously, in my opinion, been the best way to go in the first place? Yeah, it's a good question. And and the only answer I can think of is that Belli wanted the, the accolades. He wanted to have somehow have gotten Jack Ruby acquitted. Boy, would that make him a piece of history, right? The True. guy, the lawyer who got Jack Ruby acquitted on an insanity defense. Um, and, you know, I think I agree with you. I think it was a huge mistake on the part of Belli to not simply argue that in a moment he lost it because people forget it in Texas at the time, the sentence was only up to five years. Mm -hmm. So if the jury believed that this that he this was murder without malice, in effect, what we might view as manslaughter today, that by the time he died in prison, he had almost served. I mean, he served three plus years. I mean, you know, he he could have been a free man um, with a with a murder without malice, and who knows if he would have even gotten the full five years. So I think it was a huge error. Uh, by the defense. And I think that the prosecutors involved in this case thought it was a huge error as well. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's so fascinating to me. It really is. Along that same thing, why, in your opinion, did Judge Brown overturn the movement of the trial? Because in, it just kind of frustrated me reading it because it was like, obviously, this cannot be a fair trial in Dallas at all. So why so, do you think that was? 
so so the judge had hinted strongly to Belli he was going to move the case. Oh, okay. Never said he was going to never said he was going to move it, but it sure sounds like he said it was very likely he was going to move it. And I think that this was a judge who liked the attention and liked to be in, involved in the Jack Ruby trial, and so that when he inquired with other judges in the area where it might be moved, the answer was, well, you know, it could be moved here, but you can't come with it. Mm. Um, and and it would be tried by a judge who is in our county here. Um, and, you know, you can't come with the trial. And I think that was part of it. I think that uh, Judge Brown wanted to be part of this case and didn't want to didn't want to give it up. Now, there is an argument to be made that while this was, you know, a bigger story in Dallas than anywhere else in the country because Dallas was effectively on trial, I don't know that it would have been that substantially different in any other county in Texas. With that said, as a legal matter, as you know, the Court of Appeals ultimately overturned Jack Ruby's um, guilty verdict, mm -hmm. in part based on the fact that the case was not moved out of Dallas as the court felt it should have been. Okay, that makes sense. You kind of can't blame the guy for not wanting to not be on the trial at all. So Yeah, no, absolutely. Guys, I've got another product from History Horde that I know you will love. What am I adding to the list of things I never thought I'd be able to hold in the palm of my hand? A Soviet KGB spy camera button. Yeah, you heard that right. This is an authentic, incredible piece of Cold War surveillance equipment that came straight from the collection of the KGB Espionage Museum. While the museum unfortunately closed in 2020, History Horde obtained these buttons at auction and now everyone can own a small piece of genuine Cold War spy gear. The camera would be carefully positioned to shoot from behind the buttonholes and was activated with a remote shutter switch hidden in the operative's coat pocket. Often the center of the button was split and would act as a pair of shutters, opening up when the photo was taken. My button came with an incredible display case along with info cards that explain the buttons and how they were used and a certificate of authenticity. You can't miss out on this one. It's seriously so cool. Get your own Soviet KGB spy camera button by clicking the History Horde link in the episode description below and use code KENNEDYDYNASTY for 15% off. Again, that's H-I-S-T-O-R-Y-H-O-A-R-D.com with code Kennedy Dynasty, K-E-N-N-E-D-Y-D-Y-N-A-S-T-Y, no spaces, for 15% off. So this may just be a me thing, but I somehow found myself feeling kind of bad for Ruby while I was reading the book. I mean, yeah. he even thought, I mean, even though he was like clearly guilty of killing Oswald, his, just, his family and his character were so attacked and he just felt so serious about sharing his own testimony after the fact and proving that he was telling the truth. Like all he wanted was that stinking lie detector test and all that kind of stuff. So did you have the same feeling as me, like empathy towards Ruby at all or not so much? Um, look, I, I'll say this. A lot of people in Dallas had empathy for Ruby when the trial started. Mm -hmm. And Bill Alexander, the prosecutor, said after the case that he thought that that in retrospect, the hardest part for Ruby was not the fact that he was convicted, but was the fact that he was humiliated with this defense, making him seem like a clown and a, a village idiot in reference other references that were made in court to suggest that he was uh, mentally incompetent. And Alexander felt that the better defense, both as a legal matter, but also for Ruby, would have been that he was a hero. Meaning the prosecutors believed Jack Ruby did this in part because he was sort of a tough guy and wanted to show people that he was tough 
and that he was heroic and he was going to defend the country and and Jackie Kennedy from having to testify, et cetera, by killing this, you know, this awful SOB Lee Harvey Oswald. And instead, this tough guy's defense was he's such a loser. And when I say loser, you know, I, I, I don't. I don't mean to suggest that mental illness is equated with being a loser, but part of the defense was beyond just mental illness. It was this sense that, you know, um, he was sort of pathetic. And, and I think that, I think that that was devastating uh, for Jack Ruby. And so I, I, there's a very strong argument that both as a legal matter, but also as a matter of pride for Jack Ruby, that this defense was very painful uh, for him. And look, you mentioned the lie detector test that he that he requested, almost demanded from the chief justice of the Supreme Court, Earl Warren, who's interviewing him for the Warren. I want to please, please give me a lie detector test. You know, the people who believe that there was a conspiracy, is that what the guy does? who this is well after the fact, right? He's already been convicted. Um, you beg for a lie detector test um, to, you know, that's in addition to other much more compelling reasons. But Right. Yeah. And I, I do want to talk about why, obviously, the reasons you think that he yeah. acted completely alone, because honestly, did not agree with you at first with my uneducated whatever I had of Jack Ruby beforehand. I, I always thought it was some big conspiracy, as most people do. But after reading your book, I totally agree with you. So I, ne I need your reasons laid out for the audience for sure. So, yeah. So th there are three particularly important reasons, I think. And the most important one is that Oswald is arrested on November 22nd hour or two after the, the shooting at a movie theater. And he's brought to the police station. And Jack Ruby was the guy who was always hanging out with the police, hanging out with the media. He was at the police station on that Friday when Oswald was brought out right in front of Jack Ruby on the night Oswald was arrested. The theory has always been Ruby was there to silence Oswald. If he's there to silence Oswald, why not silence him on the night he's arrested? But Jack Ruby does not kill Lee Harvey Oswald that night. Instead, he attends, he's looking around, he's attending the press conference of the, the, the DA and raising his hand and correcting things that the DA is saying about Oswald and what Cuban organization he was associated with because he wants to be the center of attention. That's the hitman. The hitman is the guy drawing attention to himself, not killing Oswald, but instead making a bit of a spectacle, getting an interview for the media um, with Henry Wade. That's, that's number one. Number two is that on the Sunday, two days later, when Ruby does end up shooting Oswald, Oswald was supposed to be moved at 10 a.m. that day. The media was all there. Everyone knew you were to be there at 10 a.m. And Jack Ruby's home. And the only reason he goes to the area is because, and she testified to this, a woman who worked at his club begged him to send her 25 bucks. She needed to pay her rent. So he sort of reluctantly goes to the Western Union, which happens to be 100 yards from the police station. He gets a receipt for 11.17 a.m. We're now an hour and 17 minutes after Oswald was supposed to be moved. He's paid the $25. 
He walks over to the police station to see what's if it's he's he's presumed at this point that Oswald has been moved already and just going to hang out with the various cops and media people that he loved hanging out with. Lo and behold, must have been 30 seconds to a minute later, Oswald is walked out and Ruby shoots him. Number three. Ruby was a very odd guy, to say the least. He had an obsession with his dogs. And when I say an obsession, I don't mean the usual love that people have for their dogs. He called his dogs his children. And one of his dogs in particular, he referred to as his wife um, very often. And her name was Sheba. He had brought Sheba with him to the Western Union and left her in the car. Anyone who knows Jack Ruby says there is no way he would have left that dog in the car if he had been planning to shoot Oswald, knowing he was going to be arrested. And so those three things from the event itself, in addition to his behavior afterwards, again, as we talked about, demanding a lie detector test, and um, et cetera, convinced me that, that Ruby acted alone. It's just crazy to me. I think that it was maybe right before his death or something, if I'm not mistaken, that he had said, if only I had gone, was it 30 seconds one way or the other? Basically yeah. saying that uh, had he not been so impulsive, then he could have changed that path of his own history had he not made that turn. And if Oswald had not delayed mm -hmm. his departure by asking to put on that sweater that he was wearing when he was walked out, Ruby probably would have never killed him. Right. And like you said, uh, didn't wasn't it in the book as well that the Friday before when he had been at the press conference or whatever, he had his firearm, too, because the, they tried to act like he didn't. But he did have it on himself. There's a little bit of a there's a little bit of a dispute about oh. that, meaning meaning that is what he said. And that is what his lawyer said, that he had his firearm with him. Um, but he later said that he actually didn't have it with him. But regardless. Oh. Regardless, if he's the hitman, mm -hmm. you have your gun with you. Right. I mean, again, if you've been sent in to kill Oswald, the idea that, oh, you know, you either have it or you don't have it, that's not the way it works. <laughs> You're there to kill the guy. Um, and, and again, this idea of silencing Oswald. Oswald talked to the police for two full days, or not two full days, almost two full days. Didn't give them a lot of valuable information but definitely was caught in lies um, that, that would have become very significant um, in this period where, in theory, again, Jack Ruby could have killed him to silence him. It's such a crazy trial and everything. <laughs> um, and last but not least, we obviously have to talk about his mental state. So do you believe the whole EEG epilepsy theory even a little bit? Do you think the guy was just outright insane? Or do you believe kind of where I tend to line my beliefs is that he was just a little off his rocker, but kind of still there. So what do you think? Well, I think he was definitely still there. Um, mm -hmm. I think that, that look, it's sort of like we talk about now with a number of conditions where there's a spectrum. My guess is based on, you know, what they knew at the time that he was probably had some level of, of epilepsy, um, you know, potentially, I, I don't know for sure. I'm not a doctor. I can tell you. And again, I'm taking the interpretations of doctors using 1964 information, right? But, you know, th there was there was definitely much more agreement that he had some form of epilepsy than there was 
that he was in uh, that he was in the middle of an epileptic seizure such that he didn't remember the event. There was not a single doctor who testified that as a with medical certainty, yes, that's what I think happened. Um, so I don't think that's what happened. Um, I think that he was an odd, bizarre guy. I think he did decline mentally in prison, in jail. Um, I think he became worse. He tried to started trying to hurt himself. Um, uh, potentially kill himself in in jail again. You know that may be because he was in jail and because he was embarrassed by the trial and et cetera. But um, but I don't you know I don't I don't think I don't I don't never took seriously the defense that somehow he didn't recall the incident because he was suffering from this particular rare form of epilepsy. Completely agree. Well, you guys, you have to get this book. I'm telling you, it's my favorite book I have read this year, and I will put a direct link to buy it in the description of this episode. Mr. Dan Abrams, thank you so much for chatting with me today. This was great. My, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Hope you enjoyed the episode. Like I said before, click the link in the episode description to get the book. You will not regret it. It'll have you on the edge of your seat from start to finish. Make sure you're subscribed to the podcast. And if you like the episode, please rate it five stars and leave a positive written review on Apple Podcasts. Check out my merch link and recommendations links in the description of the episode. And I will talk to you guys next week. Come on and vote for Kennedy. Vote for Kennedy. Keep America strong. We often hear about the individuals who took the oath of office to become the chief executive. But what about the other people who play a role in each administration or the events that may not be as well known, but that contribute to the reshaping of the office of the American presidency? On the presidencies of the United States, we explore each administration beyond just the person holding the highest elected office in order to better understand the history that brought us to the modern day presidency. I hope you'll join me on this journey through the annals of presidential history. Presidencies can be found anywhere fine podcasts can be found and is a proud member of the Evergreen Podcast Network.